Hi, and welcome to the Willow Ridge Church Weekly Podcast. This is where you can find audio for our current and past sermons. We hope that you enjoy this week's installment, and be sure to check back next week to hear the latest message. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Glad that you guys are here with us. I see some of you brought your mamas with you. We're glad to have and blessed to have you with us as well. Uh, for all of our guests, if you've got, one, you've got one of these cards sitting there beside you, we'd love to know that you're here, uh, how we can pray for you. Uh, and so there's three ways. You can text us, you can email us, you can scan the QR code and, and let us know that, that you're here today. And we'd be blessed if you would do that. If you've got your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 15. As you turn there, I want to say to all the moms out here, happy Mother's Day. God has blessed me in my life. Uh, God gave me a wonderful mother who for my whole life has loved the Lord, has modeled that, still is doing that today, praying for me, and she knows that I desperately need it. But God knew how difficult it would be to raise me. So God gave me also a, a grandmother gave me aunts, gave me neighbors, gave me my mom friends to kind of rally around and support her as, as she nurtured and cared for me. And then God definitely knew what he was doing when he gave me my wife. And then I inherited my mother-in-law, who I make fun of and give a hard time to, all to her face, right? Um, but I deeply love her as well. In fact, Erin is, is with her mama this morning, uh, worshiping with her and going to be able to have lunch with her, and then I get to take off down there. Um, and so I know for all of you that are moms in here this morning, I know the, the sacrifices that you've made. Uh, being a parent now, I'm not, I'm not a mom, I'm a dad, but I know, I know what it feels like to cry over your kid. I know what it feels like to pray for your kid. I know what it feels like like to worry about your kid. And so to all the moms out there, thank you for what you do. You're a blessing to all of us. But I also want to say this before we get into our passage of scripture. It, it, today's, today's a good day. I'll leave here and, and, and go spend the afternoon with my mom and we'll, we'll eat together. Friday, uh, we got out of town and, and went down to Beaufort. We love Beaufort. We went down there and, and, and we went out to the beach yesterday. I got a little too sunburnt. Um, and so be careful on the hugs when we leave, right? Um, but but we, we had that great time of just kind of getting together and spending time together with, with Aaron and the kids and being out at the beach all day yesterday. Uh, but Mother's Day isn't always a great day for everyone. Uh, this is that day I get choked up a little bit. For my mom, it was always a bittersweet day. Her mom passed away when she was 15, Growing, uh, going into marriage, it was, it was a rough time following Aaron's miscarriage before we were, God blessed us with, with Emma and Grayson. And just this past January, my, my grandmother, my last grandparent passed away, and so I know that my dad and my aunts woke up this morning with a little bit more difficult day. And so uh, today as we celebrate moms, and you deserve to be celebrated, for all that you do, for all that you've done, for all that you will continue to do, you're a great blessing. But I also want to take a time and make sure that we're remembering all the ladies and all the people today, that today is a day of more of remembrance, or maybe even today is a day of mourning. 
And so as we dive into God's word this morning, I want to pray and celebrate moms and God's blessing of them, but also be mindful that today might be a day of pain and, and, and suffering for, for some of us as well. So would you, would you join me in prayer? God, I come to you this morning, and I just thank you. Lord, I thank you for the blessing of my mom, my grandmothers, my aunts, my wife, my mother-in-law, the moms that are gathered here in this room, those that, that seek to care for, to nurture a generation that desperately needs the gospel. And Lord, you've equipped these ladies in very specific ways in order to do that. Lord, we thank you for them. We thank you for the blessing that they are. But Lord, we also lift up, Lord, all of those who are here today and to this morning was maybe met with some tears. Lord, this morning is maybe met with a, a longing or remembering a, a pain, a, a hurt or suffering. And Lord, may they know that, that you are with them. And as we will see from your scripture this morning, that they are desperately loved by you. And Lord, we'll celebrate who you are and all that you've done. And this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you've got your Bibles open to Luke chapter 15, we're going to read the, the first two verses, and then we're going to look at a couple parables this morning, okay? So let's start Luke 15, verse 1. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, him being Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And so I want us to, to look at this morning this, this dialogue that is going to happen as there's a, a mixture of dichotomy of a, of a group of people that's going to be found around Jesus. You're going to see Jesus, his followers. You're going to see Pharisees. You're going to see what is known as tax collectors and, and sinners. And so let's kind of define this group that, that's there with Jesus. You got the people who are with Jesus, who are messing it up, getting it right, living in the grace of God. So he's going to hand the keys over to with the power of the Holy Spirit when he ascends into heaven, all right? This is the disciples and those closest to him. But you've got the Pharisees, the Jewish religious leaders are there as well. Now, they're the ones who are supposed to be on lookout for the Messiah. They're missing it. And they're so stuck in not only just like following the law of God, which is a good thing, but following the law that they've decided and their salvation that they're working toward, and that's key, is not going to be found in the grace of God, but they're going to miss salvation because it's going to be found for them in the works of man. And so Pharisees are lost. They don't get it. They don't understand and then in the room, there's two dynamics of, of people. There's, there's the tax collectors, all right? Now, they are Jewish men who have betrayed their own people for wealth as they've partnered with Rome, and basically they raise the funds for Rome so that Rome can oppress the Jewish people. So they're, 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 they're traitors. They're not like, you wouldn't like them. You wouldn't want them around you. They, they steal from you. They, they rob from you. Because of them, men and women that you know have been thrown in jail, men, that, men and women that you have know have been executed. That's what this looks like. But there's also sinners that are in the room. Now, now everybody but Jesus is a sinner in the room. All right? But when it says sinners in this context, we, we need to know that they're in the room, right, is, is a sketchy group of people. Most of the time when it says sinners, what we're talking about in Scripture is prostitutes. So look at the, the, the dynamic of the room. 
You, you see there's the Son of Man, Jesus, heading to Jerusalem on his way, heading toward the cross, and what it will be, it's his followers, it's Pharisees, it's tax collectors, it's prostitutes. And there's this wild mixture of what is there. And what I want you and I, what we're going to look at this morning, uh, kind of the, the takeaway point, what, what I hope that, that God kind of speaks into your heart as God spoke to me this week is, is this, what we're going to see defined for, for you and me is what it means to be living sent. What it means living sent. To, to understand that, that you and I, as, as the gospel has saved us, then the gospel causes us to look and to live differently. And there's ways that we can define that, but I would like to define that as being sent. So that you and I, that we understand that when we come here, we'll gather in here, we'll, we'll study God's word, we'll, we'll sing praises, but that you can't just check the box and say, I'm good, I'm done. That when you leave and, and, and go from here, you're, you're leaving with a, with a mission that comes from God to, to live sent for, for the mission of God. And this is what Jesus did. Jesus used a, a gather and, and scatter strategy. It's what was going to happen with the early church. It was what was happening during the time of Christ. We even saw this earlier in Jesus' ministries as he and the disciples would, would go into a village where, where Jesus would teach, and then he would scatter them into the village to share and to proclaim. Jesus' strategy was gather and scatter, and so that's what our strategy. There's value of the here. There's value of, of being here. I don't want us to ever miss that. I, I've had strong conversations that, that look more like arguments with individuals that say they don't need here, that they don't need this, that they don't need the gathering of God's people. They make foolish, sinful statements like, I'm just fine to be with Jesus out on my own. No, 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 because you're missing it. Because Jesus gathered and Jesus scattered. There's the value of the here. It's, it's what we see in Acts. It wasn't just go and scatter and scatter and scatter and scatter and scatter, but the, but the point of what the gospel would do is would draw people in, and, and I can't talk about this long because we got to get there, but, but, but there's the value of the here, and we see that in the ministry of the Jesus uh, as well, but there's also the value of the there. And this is going to consume small amounts of time. This is going to be our, our worship gathering of the here, our, our small group of the here. I would even argue like your personal quiet time of the gathering here, of times where, where believers are gathered doing things, even if it's individually, right? We're tucked into our prayer closet. We're down on our knees in our bedroom. That's all the here, but there's the there. It would be great for the introverts in the room, right? If we could all just live gathered in our own little small areas. But God says, no, 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 you got to go there. And we're going to talk a lot about the there today. That we have to go there. Wherever your there is. And your there is different than my there. And that's the beauty of God, of what God does. That God chose and ordained your there. Just as God chose and ordained my there. Get this, God chose and ordained your neighbors, your coworkers. God chose those for you, and God placed you there. That's part of your scatter of what God has for you. Jesus modeled this, and he calls us this to, to go. Notice this, 
Read through scripture. How much of Jesus's ministry happened in the temple and how much of Jesus's ministry happened in the streets and in the homes, right? It's important. Jesus gathered in the temple. As a young boy, he wanted to be there. As a young boy, he wanted to, to have teaching and he wanted to be taught and he wanted to teach himself. And we see that as a man, as he grows and as he matures. But so much of what we see in the ministry and the life of Jesus is not found huddling inside the temple, but it is out in the streets and in the neighborhoods and in jobs and in homes as Jesus goes to people. And so how can it be for us that we just think that all we have to do is gather here? The here is important, but it's there. And that's what I mean by living sent, that you and I, we understand that we're living sent with the gospel. And, and what we're going to see, kind of the, the mindset that's going to be embraced in this is, is a concept of open homes and, and open lives. Open homes and, and open lives. This is what it means to be sent. That your home is open, your life is open to live with, to rub elbows with, to encounter, to know the names, to, to socially engage, to have your lives meshed together with people for the gospel. And this is what we see Jesus doing in these first two verses. This is the issue that the Pharisees have. How can he be a man of God is what they're, what they're saying, what they're thinking but then receive and eat with tax collectors and sinners. This comes into conflict with them. He should be so into his, his, his own righteousness and his own holiness that he should not associate with them, but he eats with them and he receives them. And how can this be? And this is what Jesus is going to address. Now, we're, we're, we're good people. We know what it means to eat with someone, right? But that's not the two words I want us to look at this morning. The two words that I want us to look at for open homes and open lives is that the, the accusation of Jesus that he receives sinners. And what does that mean? In honor of Mother's Day, I want, I want to tell you a little bit about my grandmother. My grandmother who just recently passed away. I loved going over to my, to my grandmother's house. And I kid you not, Maybe it explains why I, I weigh as much as I weigh today, but there was never a point in time that, that you would walk in my grandmother's house and there wasn't something home cooked ready to eat for you in the kitchen. Everything around my grandmother's house came with a meal and everybody knew that. And so people would, would flock to my grandmother's house. It wasn't uncommon to just show up, but not to just show up, to show up with friends. I remember just recently getting my driver's license. And so we had our, I had my driver's license and some buddies of mine on the weekend, we'd, we'd get enough money up to, to put some gas in the, in the Honda Accord and ride around the big city of North Augusta. And there wasn't a whole lot to do, which was great because we didn't have a whole lot of money. And so we'd get up early that morning and we'd go out and we'd play basketball and we'd go down to the river and we'd do some things. And then all of a sudden it was like 12 o'clock and everybody's like, I'm kind of hungry. Are you hungry? Yeah, I'm hungry. We don't have any money. What do y'all want to do? Let's go to grandma's house. We go to grandma's house and she'd feed us. Here's what it means. Here's what this looks like. At my grandmother's house, there was always enough food, always enough food. I think I, I thought about this morning. I'd like to call like, like that the theology of casserole, you know? Like, 
it's kind of hard. Like you could only cut a chicken breast up so many times before somebody feels like they're, they're getting gypped, right? But there's always, when it's a big casserole dish, it's like, no, honey, there's a little bit more. Just get a smaller spoon, right? There's always enough food. There was always enough room. She didn't have a huge dining room table, but it amazed me. She could squeeze like 30 chairs into that. Now, you might just like to hold on to a corner of one, right, as you're sitting there eating. But pe people would walk in through the door. We had family in Abbeville, and they would just drive down. They were the weird, crazy family. And I'll never forget, they'd come in like 5.30 on a Sunday. And like, oh, we didn't know y'all were eating. How did y'all not know that we were eating at 5.30, right? And my grandma said, no, 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 there's more than enough room. We'll slide over. And we'd slide over and pack people in, right? Because she cared about them. And she wanted them there. And when you came to my grandmother's house, you were made to feel like this was your home. What's hers is yours. Every door to every bedroom is open. I can't tell you how many times I showed up at my grandmother's house and there's some strange cousin back in the back taking a nap, right? Because that was their home. Because when you knew my grandmother, she received you. Who she was was there for you. And her home and her life was open, not to just give you something, not to make you a ham sandwich and send you on your way, but to receive you, right? And so in this, when they say, what does it, that Jesus receives sinners, what does that mean? It means this, he's bringing them into family, right? Jesus isn't defining them by the things they are. Instead, Jesus is saying, no, 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 there's more than enough to eat. No, 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 there's more than enough places to sit. No, 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 what's mine is, is yours and come here and so it doesn't matter if you're a Pharisee. It doesn't matter if you're a tax collector. It doesn't matter if you're a prostitute. There's room at the table of Christ for you. And he receives you. And for us, that's what it looks like for open homes and open lives. But the Pharisees are grumbling grumbling that this is what Jesus is doing. And so Jesus in chapter 15 and even continuing on is going to start to tell some, some parables. And we're going to look at two of those parables this morning, the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. But before we go there, you, you know, you, you just heard there's the common word there, lost. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever lost something of great value? My first time in in, in ministry of being entrusted to lead something outside of student ministry was to lead an adult mission trip to Bolivia. And about a week before we were getting ready to go, I went to put my hands on my passport and I couldn't find it. And here I am, I'm supposed to lead the trip and I can't find it. And I turned our house upside down. That's actually our apartment at the time. I turned that apartment upside down. I went to the two storage buildings that we had other stuff in because we were looking to move into our home and turn all of those boxes up. And then finally, what I found tucked away in like an old book bag that I'd taken on the last mission trip, stuck underneath a flap in the very bottom was my passport. But the panic I had until I could find that. My, my, my first time at being employed by a church. Now, before, if you're, if you're younger than me, I don't know that if you know that these things exist or not, but at one point in time, like, we got a piece of paper called a paycheck before direct deposit. And that's what the church that I had, they gave us a paycheck, one every month. And I got that first paycheck. 
and I put it in my back pocket. And somewhere between me putting that in my back pocket and me getting home, I lost my paycheck. And now I'm panicking because I'm newly married and now I'm still broke. And now I've got to go to this church and say, I know you took a risk on me to be able to entrust me with all of your students. And I promise I won't lose any of them, but I just lost my paycheck, right? But I found it. It had fallen out of my pocket in my truck and it was tucked in my seat and I, and I found it. But the scariest thing that I can think through is, is losing something was one point in time, um, Aaron and I lost Grayson, right? Bigger deal than a passport, bigger deal than a paycheck. We lost our son, the only one we had, right? We were at a park in Aiken. It was a new park. The park had just opened up and we're there, and, and, and being parents of, of twins, like what we just do is one parent keeps their eyes on one, one parent keeps their eyes on the other, and, and Aaron and I usually go into these things with, with a battle plan. You know who you got, I know who I got, go. Because at three and four years old, they don't just stay right where you want them to. They, they, they understand the gospel, they scatter, right? And that's what they did. And so we're standing there, and we're at this park, and we didn't really communicate effectively of what we needed to do, and, and, and our kids were at this park, and, and this park had just opened in Aiken, and everybody in Aiken, it felt like, was at this park. And there's kids all over the place, and there's people all over the place, and it's in the heart of downtown Aiken, and all of a sudden, we're, we're standing there, and I looked at, at, at Aaron, and I said, I'll look at Emma climbing on the monkey bars, and she says, yeah, I know, I've been watching Emma. And I said, well, I've been watching Emma too, and it was that moment of then, who's watching Grace? And we start calling, and we start yelling, and we start running around this park that's not big, but it's filled. And it's not big, but it's surrounded by major roads. And it's not big, but there's a lot of traffic. And we can't find Grayson. And then all of a sudden, from around a big old tree, here comes his head. He was having the best game of hide and go seek right, that we could ever possibly have. But he didn't tell us we were playing that game, right? And we could not find him. We lost him. And so there's three things here that when we lost, when we found there's great value, but in the panic and the desperation of something that's lost. And as we read these parables, I want you to think through when you've lost something of importance, when you've lost something of value, and you desperately want it to be returned. And that's the urgency when, when Jesus tells these. So let's read, starting verse 3. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Verse 8. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, which, by the way, was about a, a tenth of a year's wages, is what we think Jesus is getting to, a significant amount of money, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. 
And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Two people lost one thing, and they do all that it takes to see it be found. One of the things I want us to, to look at and understand is what, make God, what makes God happy. It's really clear here in this passage of Scripture. If you want to live your life in a way that, that brings joy and happiness to God, these two parables led out pretty quickly to us. Remember, repetition matters, which is what we've been talking about for the last several weeks as Jesus repeats himself. Look back at verse 7. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Again in verse 10, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So if, if you and I, with the weight of the gospel, want to live our life in such a way that heaven erupts in joy, think about that. That heaven, this is, Jesus is not lying to us. Jesus isn't, isn't trying to convince us of something by telling a story that's not true. What Jesus is saying, if we want to see heaven erupt in gladness, what that means is when someone is lost, they're dead in their trespasses and sins, and they're found, and they're a part of the family of God. What causes heaven to erupt in gladness and in joy and in celebration is when unbelief moves to faith. This is what we see. And so for you and I, if we want to be aligned with what brings joy in heaven, it's lost people being found. It's unfaith moving to faith. It's death moving to life. When I found the passport, when I found the paycheck, when I found my son, I was happy. Aaron was happy. It relieved something from us. But when sinners move from death to life, all of heaven celebrates. And that's it. And that's the burden. And that's for you and I. And so what we see, the desire of what God wants for, for you and for me is, is to share Jesus and, and to live sent. Jesus describes as a shepherd who leaves the nani nine behind and who uses the staff when it's found to bring it around the sheep to, to bring him back to the flock. The lost is found. Jesus talks about a woman who loses a coin and shines the, the light and who gets the broom and who sweeps it back until she searched under every piece of furniture in every corner where she's eliminated the darkness so that what was lost could be found. And in those individual celebration happens. But for all of eternity, this is the weight of what's there, right? And so he receives sinners. He welcomes them in because this, understand this, Receiving awakens repentance. Receiving 
awakens repentance. If you're saved, right? If you're saved, Jesus is the shepherd that put the staff out and and pulled you in. If you're saved, Jesus is the light by which the gospel was illuminated. If you're saved, Jesus is the bristles of the broom that as you decided to tuck yourself away in a corner of your own world and your own life that, that brought you out so that you could be found, right? Receiving awakens repentance. The, the, these parables are not told because Jesus just simply goes and finds sinners. It's not hard. These parables are told because Jesus receives these Sinners receiving awakens repentance. When a sheep is lost, when a coin is lost, they can't return themselves. And what they need are the grace and love or the one who cares. Understand this, when, when we understand receiving, when, when, we, when we look at that, of what that means, of what Jesus is doing, Jesus is showing kindness and compassion, but it also places worth. It's kind that someone brings you into their house. It's compassionate that someone receives you into their home. But ultimately what it shows is this. You are worthy to be received by the person who brings you in. And this is what Jesus does. It's Jesus and Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, the the tax collector that climbs up the tree because he wants to see Jesus. And what does Jesus say? Hey, I'm coming to your house today. And, And in the flip of the reversal that Jesus brings himself, invites himself, receives Zacchaeus into his own home. And what he is doing is establishing the worth of Zacchaeus that is gonna be found in Christ and Christ alone. That when you were received by God, here's what the gospel communicates to you. Not because of who you are and of what you've done, because of who Jesus is, you're worth saving. You're worth saving. You and I are worth saving. And that's why Jesus came and he died. Not because we've earned it, not because we deserve it, but because of who he is. And when he receives it, awakens repentance, which comes to life. And then lastly, what I want us to see is Jesus loves individually. In all of this, Jesus loves individually. Go back and look back at verse 7. It says, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Understand this. People have argued a lot about what this verse means. And here's what I want us to kind of understand. Don't miss the beauty of the one. Don't miss the importance of the one. Be like, oh, but what about the 99? There's not rejoicing here. They're with the flock. What's the point? Jesus, no, 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 you're missing it. It's the beauty of the one. Because before you and I became a part of the many, before you and I became a part of the family, before you and I were were bought and saved and redeemed by the blood of Christ, we were the one. We were the one. And Jesus, the shepherd, brought us back into the flock. Jesus was the light and the broom that searched until we 
profound. It's the personal nature of the gospel. Having twins, especially a boy and a girl, there's a lot of comparison sometimes. There's a lot of, well, you did this for him, you didn't do this for, uh, for me. And we have to walk through that and navigate through that. You know, when I look back on that day when, when Grayson was lost and we couldn't find him, we knew where Emma was the whole time. And in fact, when we went to go search for Grayson, we scooped up Emma and took her with us. And when we found Grayson, and when we celebrated the fact that he was now safe and he was with us, it never at once minimized the fact that Emma had been with us all along. It never once lessened her value or her, her importance in that moment. And instead, there was celebration because she had been with us all along, but he who was lost has now been found. And it's so importantly that we understand this, that Jesus loves individually. And I think what Jesus is painting us the picture of is the one and the value of the one and the importance of the one. Jesus could have said five sheep were lost and the shepherd left the 95 to go and return the five. Jesus could have said three coins were lost, and she searched everywhere until she found them. But Jesus instead chose for a group of people that needed to understand of what it meant to receive sinners to say this, as he's individually focused on you, oh, he wants you to focus on the one. And he wants me to focus on the one. And so I want to ask you a question this morning as we close. Who is your one? Sometimes we, we look at lostness. And we talk about the fact, which is true, that right now in Lexington County, one-third of the population identifies as Christians, which means two-thirds don't, and that number's scary and it's big. And how do we begin to tackle the thousands upon thousands of people who are lost? We look at countries that are less than 1% Christian. And so we understand that greater than 99% of them are, are lost. And, and how do we solve that? How do we fix that? How do we take all of those millions upon billions of people and go seek them and find them? And I think what that allows us to do is what's impossible we walk away from. And I think if Jesus would have said, there was a shepherd who had 100 sheep, and 99 of them got lost, but one stayed behind, they would have missed it. So instead, he said, there's just the one. And so for you this morning, it's easy for us to get lost in the masses. But I want to ask you this. I want you to think of where you live in the relationships and people that God have placed in your home and around your house. I want you to think about where you work, the place that you go to every single day, the office place that you go to, the school that you go to, 
I want you to think about where you play, right? What gym you go to, what fishing club you're a part of, what softball field you go and sit at bleachers at while you watch your grandkids play. I want you to think about all of the different places where you are sent, where men, women, and children gather, and in their conversations, they reveal who they are. And you can begin to see and and figure out who's lost. And we could leave here and say, this week go share the gospel with all of them. Every single one of them. And if God lays that on your heart, man, man, do it. But, But here's the question that I think strategically Jesus would ask us. Who's your one? One. Picture their face. What's their name? What do they mean to you? But more importantly, heaven would erupt with gladness when they step from death to life. Who's your one? Who's your one? I want to challenge you with something. These are four simple things. They're not going to come up on the screen, but if you want to jot them down, if not, they're easy to remember. When it comes to the strategy for you to seek after this person for the hope of the gospel, I want to invite you to join me in doing four things this week. Four things in doing this month and doing this year for that one individual. First thing I want to encourage you to do, I want to challenge you to do is to pray for him. Pray for him. And not just like, like, like let's pray for the things that, that we, we're good at praying for, right? Like when they have a surgery that they know is coming up or they've got a sickness that's going on. Like, like we, we're not going to minimize that. We want to pray for those things. But, but there, there's greater things for us to pray for. And what I want you to pray for is for their salvation. That they will come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So number one, I want you to pray for them. Number two, would you join me in your one of seeking for opportunities to serve them? And what I mean by serving is to serve them without any expectation that what you do for them, that they will return back to you. That you serve them sacrificially the way that Jesus did. That you serve them in a way that is going to reflect the gospel. That you serve them sacrificially to the point to where it hurts that you'll pray for them, that you will serve them, that you will invite them. Invite them into a moment, an environment where they can taste and see the body of Christ. Maybe that's at our VBS this summer. Maybe it's the family next door. Maybe that's at your small group that you go to. Maybe that's to a dinner at your home where another family who are believers are going to come and be a part of. You see what I'm leaving out? Here, this is easy. Not that I don't want your lost friends here, I do. But I want you to receive them, to invite them, to come along beside them. So you're going to pray. You're going to serve. You're going to invite But then here's what you got to do, the fourth thing you got to share. You got to share. That you're going to look for an opportunity to share the gospel. 
to share your testimony, to share who Jesus is and how he has impacted your life. Who's your one? Who's your one? Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you send us to live sent. That you send us to carry the gospel in the hope of Jesus Christ. Jesus, I thank you for that as you model that for us. That your word doesn't say that you just simply taught sinners. That you were around sinners. That you prayed for sinners. But Lord, that you received sinners. And so Lord, I pray that in our lives, that we would model that. That Jesus, that we would receive those who the religious have outcast, but Lord, that we receive them so that they may know you. Lord, I pray for everyone in here. Lord, would you burn on our hearts the face and the name of our one. Lord, would you consume us with the pursuit of their soul because they're lost they're headed toward eternal death and the only thing that's going to save them is you and that has to matter to us if we're going to say that we're a follower of Jesus Christ Lord, may we pray for them in means that are eternal. Lord, may we serve them in ways that are sacrificial. Lord, may we invite them to engagements that are a relational reflection of the body of Christ. And may we share with them out of the overflow of the hope that we have in Christ and Christ alone. May we share based off of how you've saved us. May we share with them based off of who you are. And Lord, we ask you in these moments or through the power of who you are, the power of who you, how you work, Lord, that men and women and children would be saved. Lord, that darkness would be impacted by light. Lord, that hope would be found in that our one might come to know Jesus. And in that, Lord, we thank you that all of heaven will erupt. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing a couple songs. And you're going to go from here, and you're going to go to lunches, hopefully ladies that y'all aren't cooking, right? That's right. I get an amen now, that's what I'm talking about. But you're going to go from here. 
You're going to go and live sent, reflecting Jesus. But who's the one? Who's the one? Let's stand and worship him. Thanks again for listening to the Willow Ridge Church Weekly Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this week's message. If you'd like to learn more about who we are or explore additional resources, visit us online at www.willowridgechurch.com or by searching for Willow Ridge Church on Facebook and Instagram.